You are listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast, brought to you by Bobby Hayeri and Darren Venter, founders of the Investors Agency and DBA. With over 20 years' experience in real estate between them and having bought hundreds, if not thousands, of properties around the country, you are in the right place to learn all things property. This podcast is designed to educate and empower everyday Aussies to take control of their future through property. Hey guys, Bobby here from the Lazy Equity Podcast. Uh, you're listening to episode four and I'm super excited to have Mike Greco uh, join us. So Mike Greco is currently our head buyer's agent or senior buyer's agent. So Mike and I actually have a pretty, well, I should first say welcome. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you. Super Very exciting ex- to be here. And excited to have you here. It's your first podcast. Absolutely. Your, your wife was, uh, you told your wife about it yesterday and was she cheering you on? Yes, yeah, she was. She was. She's uh, very excited to listen. <laughs> All right, cool. So so Mike and I first actually met years ago. Mike was uh, a soccer coach of mine. We actually forgot about that. And just before the podcast, we remembered again, well, we obviously knew, but just hadn't really thought about it in a while when you get into the work dynamics. But so we've probably known each other for like 20 years. Yeah, a long time. More than that, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I still um, remember you running around the soccer field in the mid. <laughs> I would have been the little the little shit in the team. Uh, uh, you, guys, you guys, you and John would have been like, fuck, mate, just listen to what we're saying. I do remember yelling at you. <laughs> how funny, laps. how the uh, roles have reversed. Absolutely. No, I'm <laughs> cool. So, so, yeah, Mike and I have known each other for like probably over 20 years, first on the soccer field and then and then from there, Mike was actually a client of the investors agency, was already an experienced property investor. Wanted some help in buying something interstate, so came out, came, reached out to us at the investors agency, and and we helped him there. And then shortly after that, or how long after that was it when you saw us put an ad up? So from when I first reached out to you, it was probably six months uh, okay. before I joined on. Yeah, so so we put an ad up about six months after Mike actually sort of questioned, asked me about what the buyer's agent journey looks like, and so forth. And then he reached out and, and uh, the rest is history. He's uh, very, very quickly moved up in the ranks and, and he's really been able to free up sort of doesn't doesn't my time on the buying side of things so we can focus on other aspects. So uh, we're super thrilled to have Mike on the team and to have him on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's been fantastic. I'm very much enjoying it. So why don't you, um, why don't you tell the listeners briefly a little bit about yourself, uh, a bit of a background, uh, and then just to let you guys know today's Obviously, we're going to be talking about negotiating and, and Mike's on the ground sort of doing these deals every single day. So we're going to touch on that a little bit later. But let's talk about, you know, a brief, brief rundown of yourself. Yeah, cool. So uh, I'm a father of two. I've got a four-and-a-half-year-old boy, three-year-old girl, almost three, uh, next month. I have been investing in property since I was around 20 years old. My, my parents got me into property quite young which I'm very appreciative of. I've learned a lot from from them and, you know, setting goals for myself um, and things like that. So it, it's been, you know, important for me to to think about setting myself up for the future, setting my family up for the future in the best way possible and trying to be smart about that. So, yeah, and then I guess coming along throughout my investing journey, you know, a couple of properties in, in, in New South Wales, in one in Queensland and South Australia. So, you know, got quite a diverse portfolio, which, you know, I'm fairly proud of. And, you know, in this role, I'm very happy to then be able to help people to try and achieve the same objectives if, if that's what they want to do. Nice, mate. Super, super, super cool. So let's touch on, um, let's touch on family first. I know I'm always getting advice off you because I'm, uh, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a little one that's just under two years old, always, always asking for sort of words of wisdom with, with a, from someone that's a father of two. What is sort of the, 
biggest challenges you've had from uh, going from one to two kids? Oh, and that's a relatively small age gap. Yeah, it is. Um, four to th- are, just under three. Yeah, they're at 20 months difference. So under two years. You had two, yeah, two under, under two, two years. You know, life becomes uh, very different once you have children. You know, you start thinking about them more so than yourself. I, I'd like them to be able to live close to us as they grow up. In terms of challenges, I think, you know, you just want the best for your kids. No, that's really cool. So, so I can completely relate that. You know, as you as you start having kids, you, you start thinking more about them, and, and they become sort of a priority. And that's definitely happened with with me with with uh with Mia. So, mm. and I also think your parents getting you into property was that um why was like was that were your parents how old were your parents when they came here? So my dad was ten. My mum was actually born here, but obviously, you know, like my grandparents and and my dad coming over from so both uh, immigrants from Italy coming over, they didn't have a lot. So for them, you know, it was, is a land of opportunity. You, you know, you work hard, uh, you're able to then, you know, put that into something. And they just, I guess my father saw so many opportunities, which I'm so grateful that he shared with me. Yeah. Mate, hundred percent. Like my dad, my whole reason I got into property was when we were soon after we left school, my sister and I were still living at home, but we we're working full time. And dad said, uh, he gave me three options. He's like, you either start paying him rent or, we go out and start paying our own rent. Yeah. Or he said, I'll help you with the first deposit. And yeah. then you start paying off your own mortgage. We didn't have to get, he wasn't kicking us out of home. Yeah. But he said, I'll help you guys pay partial. You know, we had our own savings, but he goes, yeah. I'll help you chip in with the first deposit, put a tenant in there. You guys just pay off regular payments on the mortgage and we'll, uh, and, and, and that way we can still live at home. Obviously we're going to take that, that option. It's the, it's the <laughs> easiest one to do. So yeah. I think we're both super lucky growing up with um, sort of migrant, migrant parents um, sort of, they know we're talking about this just before the podcast. Mm. Um, sort of generally, those who are first generation, they struggle a little bit more. They don't have their roots set up in, in the country, so so you Correct. do need to take a bit more risk. You do Correct. need to um, hustle that little bit harder, and and, yeah. and you sort of see what life is on the other side of yeah. of the world. Yeah, I mean, my dad did something very similar to me. He basically, you know, he got me working. <laughs> you know, fourteen nine months. You know, you need to get a job. So I jumped in there. My my first job was at McDonald's. And then, you know, he had me very much saving, you know, 60% of my wage every week, even even at that age. Wow. Basically told me, you know, spend the rest, go for your life, but the rest you need to save. Yeah. And then when I was old enough, he very much encouraged me to get into property and was like, you know, if you're making repayments, that's great. And then if you spend the rest again, you know, happy days. So, yeah, I think that very much helped to set me up. Yeah, 100%. No, I think we're super lucky in that regard. So, so... Look, today we want to talk about about negotiating. Last week, Daz and I, if you haven't already listened to episode three, last week, Darren and, and, and myself, we spoke about all the fundamentals, property investing, what you should be looking out for, how to do your due diligence and so forth. Daz was actually going to join us today. I think he's got a little bit of FOMO. He's, <laughs> yeah, he uh, does, absolutely. <laughs> he's, uh, he's got COVID, unfortunately, so we're thinking of you, mate. Uh, we'll look forward to, to seeing you back in the office soon. But if you guys haven't already listened to episode three, make sure you do. That's talking about how to select markets and due diligence. Today, we thought it would be prudent to talk about talk, talk about negotiating. Now, Mike is uh, on the ground in the thick of it doing how many deals are we settling on a week? Four to five. Four to five deals a week on average. Yeah. So you sort of, you know, and if we've got like an 80% conversion rate, for example, that yeah. means you're negotiating on on potentially eight or nine properties a week, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you'd be the best person to ask in terms of negotiating and, and tips and advice that you can give listeners. Um, sure. Why don't we touch on, 
I guess the first thing that people need to think about, let's just say they've done their due diligence, they found the property that they want to buy within the market, they know yeah. it's the right property. Yeah. Let's talk about what this what what the what the buyers what the listeners are going to have to do in order to take that first step to secure the property at the most competitive price. Yeah, cool. So I think it's extremely important that when you, you know, are looking to to jump into buying property, whether it's investment or, you know, an occupier, firstly understanding your market. So what I mean by that is just doing a bit of research on that market before you, you know, you look at getting into it. There are a few things that we want to touch on. So, you know, doing a bit of research about uh, and looking not so much at the price guide. A lot of people focus a lot on on a price guide and, and then get quite disappointed when, uh, you know, something sells for you know, 50000 100000 over what the price guide is. We are, funny you say that, we we had a conversation with a client last week, yes. right? And, um, and the price guide, I think, was... Three fifty. The, the the listing price was three fifty. Yeah, and we said you might have to go to three seventy or three seventy five, something yes. like that. And and his first question was, well, if it's listed at three fifty, why should I have to pay three seventy five? So it's funny we get that all the time, right? Absolutely. And then so I think this is just something where people go wrong sometimes from the very beginning. What we like to really focus on is looking at comparables. So doing your research, looking at comparables, specifically suburb comparables. And sorry, sorry, just to, just in terms of comparables, what should what should the listeners be? What time frames? Let's talk about now with COVID, with properties going at 40% per year, markets going at 40% per year. Yep. So let's talk about now, but also let's talk about in a normal market. How, yep. how far back should people be looking at comparables and what should people be looking at when comparing comparables? Yep. Good question. So we should really be looking uh, no further back than three months. Uh, we try to do try to look at say two months, but it really depends on the sales for that that period. Then we want to be looking at things such as land size, you know, the condition of the property. We want to be also touching on a few other things, such as because there's a few other things that can definitely affect the price of a property, which people sometimes or a lot of people overlook, including agents that that we see. Uh, and they are things such as is the home owner occupied or is it vacant yeah. or is that property tenanted because that also has a major impact on on the selling price yeah and let's um let's touch on so when when we're looking at comparables so you sort of said bedrooms we obviously look at um, land size we obviously yeah. look at the age of the house yeah. we're going to look at as well yeah if we if we look at a property that a comparable sale that was that sold three months ago, mm-hmm. but then a market, and this is something really important for you guys that are listening to, to that you can do. And it's very, it's a reasonable expectation to, to sort of do as well. If you're looking at a comparable from three months ago, and then, you know, the market in the past 12 months has done 40%. Yeah. What we do and, and what you guys can do is you can divide the annual growth. So if it's done 40% over the past 12 months on RP data, you can see how much growth that's been, which trajectory it's gone over which months. If you divide 40% by the amount of months, so 12 months, whatever that comes back to, it's a reasonable expectation to then add, let's just say it's um, let's just say it's 3% per month growth. Mm-hmm. It's a reasonable expectation to then go, okay, 3% per month, three months, that's an extra 12% that we should potentially, we might have to potentially pay yes. based off this comparable from three months ago. Yes. So for you guys listening, that's definitely something that you want to um, – that you want to be mindful of um, three months in this market 
can still do. But if you do that, you just want to have a look at how much growth the past three months has had. The more sales in the market, the more the more recent you want to you want to look at. Absolutely. So yeah, I guess I get touching back on one of the points I I, I brought up. Really, just making sure that uh, when we're looking at these comparables, we're also thinking about you know quite often we'll ask the agent for their comparables and they'll send us comparables for different suburbs. So keep that in mind as well, because I mean, if we think about say the Northern beaches, for example, we think about suburb like Coloroy, the neighboring suburb to Coloroy might be Chroma. Now, if, if an agent uh, sends you a bunch of comparable sales and you're looking at Chroma, um, they have, it's a completely different market. So you need to be really aware of that. And when you're doing your comparables, stick to the same suburb because there are different demographics in different suburbs. There are different drivers in different suburbs. They're all different. They're classified as different markets. So it is very important to, to break that down and look at that. I think a lot of the time people just look at areas and, and even, you know, you can look at say Curl Curl and DY again, they're neighboring suburbs on the Northern beaches. They might be streets away, but if, you know, postcodes have different demographics and yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. You're right. That's a, that's a really good point you make. And, and like, I, I don't know off the top of my head, the difference in the median house price between Colorado and Chroma, but I would assume there'd be a 10, 15% difference Absolutely. Uh, at least probably Absolutely. a 15% difference yeah. in, in median house price. So it's super yeah. important that you guys think about that. Other things you want to think about when looking at comparables, things like, is the property in a flood zone? Is it in a bushfire zone? Does it have an easement? Like an easement's a big one as well. Like if, if you're if you're looking to, to negotiate on a property and if you're looking to do a development on that property, but there's an easement that runs through the backyard, well, there goes your land value, right? That's right, absolutely. So these are all the sort of things you want to look at when comparing properties. Make sure you're comparing it with other properties that don't have easements, that aren't in flood zones, that aren't uh, similar. They are a similar size, same similar bedrooms and, and so forth, similar age and whatnot. So, so. Hopefully in terms of comparables, that gives you guys some some understanding. Don't look at properties that are currently for sale. That's completely irrelevant. Look at, look at properties that have already sold, right? Correct, and absolutely. The, and the reason for that is just because the guides are so... That's right. The listing prices and guides are so off, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're buying in, in so many different markets all around the country. And to give you guys a bit of an understanding, you know, there's some markets where prices sell very close to the price guide. There are some markets that we're able to purchase under the price guide. And then there are markets that are selling, you know, 10, 15% above the price guide. And so, you know, by doing that research and really looking at those types of things and understanding the market that you're buying in really helps to help you with that disappointment when you're looking at a property. You know, if you look and go, well, typically these these homes are coming on at say three ninety nine. Offers over three ninety nine and selling at four seventy, then you know that's almost like fifteen percent above. So you can anticipate that that is roughly where that price is going to land. And and you can be, we can predict these quite. You know, if if you do your research, uh, you can predict these quite accurately where these properties are going to land. Hundred percent. And and we we sort of like generally within. Within twenty thousand dollars is is what we it depends on the value of the property as well. But if you're looking at like a, a property within under five hundred thousand dollars, absolutely, would it be reasonable to 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 sort of say that we are generally predicting within twenty k what these properties are going to sell for? Absolutely, yeah. And and you guys just have a listen again to what to, to what Mike just said before. So there are some markets that property 
prices are selling 15% over the guides. So that's really, really important. If you guys are just going off what an agent is listing, it is completely irrelevant. Northern Beaches, for example, we're going to use that example now again too. Six months ago, property prices were selling 15% over their guides. Yes. Now, if, if you guys do all the research that Mike has just talked about before and, you, and, and, and that stuff that Darren and I spoke about last week as well in terms of how to select markets, if you see the days on markets increasing and you've done your research, now the properties are actually all selling at the guide. They're not selling 15% over anymore. Absolutely. But if you're not on the <laughs> ground and you just see a property and think it's going to sell 15% over, you could be that person paying That's right. that much more, right? And, and the markets change like monthly. Like you need to be watching it all the time because we're seeing that change all the time. 100%. That's right. So let's touch on, so hopefully that gives you guys some clarity on researching the market, um, researching how agents like to list their list their prices, list their guides, every, every, every region is sort of different in that regards. The more you're familiar and the more you're on the ground, you're going to get some clarity on that. Comparable sales, hopefully you guys have got some good clarity on that as well. Let's talk about why we like properties that have tenants in them. And Great. we love them even Great more if, uh, if tenants are in there at a, at a ridiculously low price. Great question. So I think I very briefly touched on this before, but you know, I was talking about the difference between a property that's owner occupied or vacant, as opposed to a property that has tenants in there. So obviously if a property's owner occupied or vacant, you're going to be coming up against the most amount of competition. Okay. Because you're going to be, you know, owner occupiers who are, who are looking for, for their first home uh, can move straight in. Uh, but when we're looking at properties that are tenanted, you know, if they've got longer leases, such as six months, nine months, 12 months, then we generally find that owner occupiers aren't so much interested in those homes, which very much affects the sale price. And, and look, so, so I guess obvious reasons, I just want to make it, make it clear, like it, it, is, it is sort of speaks for itself. If a property is tenanted for the next six or 12 months, an owner-occupier who's looking to move into a property is not going to be able to move into that property. Absolutely. So if you've got a market which you know is 80% owner-occupied, yeah. you're competing immediately with 80% less buyers. Absolutely. And let's explain. So a, a common thing that we get from our clients is, oh, but the rent is so low. I don't want this property. Yes. Let's explain why it's an amazing opportunity to buy a property like that. Let's say the the, the rent is sitting at uh, $400 a week for the next 12 months and the rent should be at 500 a week. The current market value is 500, so so we're short $100 a week. Now, if we if we quantify that, that's going to be $100 a week times 52, it's about $5,000 a year. Yeah, if it's if the tenants are still going to be in there for twelve months. Yes, yes. But so we're going to lose about five thousand dollars a year in rent. Yeah. However, what we need to think about is we are then able to purchase that property for most likely twenty to thirty thousand dollars less because we're not competing against that eighty percent of own occupiers. So our competition is is significantly less, and quite often we will sit back uh, because these are the types of properties that sit on the market for a while and agents aren't, well, we find that a lot of agents don't actually realize that it, <laughs> how much it actually affects the sale price yeah. because we'll jump in and say, well, you know, you've advertised that this property at, at 500,000, but we're going to put in offer at 480 or 470. And at first they, sometimes they laugh at us, but you know, three weeks later they come back and say, Hey, is that offer still on the table? 
And, and usually and, it's not. And then, yeah, <laughs> and usually it's not. And now we're talking maybe a little bit less. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting how that works. And another thing, so so like Mike said, if, if that tenant's still in there for another 12 months, you're going to lose $5,000, but you're going to potentially buy that property $20,000, $30,000, dollars $40,000 cheaper. Another thing to be mindful of, and that's because you're competing with 80% less buyers being the owner-occupiers, but another thing is some investors just are not in a position to be able to afford those lower yields for one year or for six months. That's right. So not only are you not competing with 80%, of the owner occupiers, you're also not competing with many of the investors, whether they can't afford it or whether they just don't think of it like that. They just yeah. think, well, I don't, I don't want to pay. I don't want to hold on to this property if I'm going to lose out for the next six months. Yeah. But what they don't think about is, well, you know, if 90% of other people are saying that you're going to be saving a lot That's more right. money when buying the property. Most people look at the yields now Yeah. and, and they don't actually see that they can actually purchase this property for significantly less than, than the value. So you know, if that property was vacant, it would absolutely sell for twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars more. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's right. So, I guess to, to tie in with that as well. So this is this sort of goes to show that it, it, it is sometimes worth being patient, waiting for. You don't want to be too patient because we've also had clients before that have been extremely patient and they've had to go into different markets because they can't afford to buy anymore. Yes. But you also don't want FOMO and just jump into any property at any price because there will most likely come an opportunity which will be under comparable sales and that's when you should move on it quickly. Absolutely. So one of the ways that you're able to purchase properties potentially under comparable sales is by looking at what the vendor's motivations are. So it's not always about price and, and people don't realise this, how often we're not the highest bidder but we're still securing the property. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think... You're 100% correct. A lot of people don't understand how much the terms of the contract affect the sale. So, you know, we might, in negotiations, I'll often ask, you know, is there anything that the that the vendors or sellers are looking for in terms of this contract? Sometimes they're looking for, you know, longer longer settlement periods. So they might want 90 days. And they'd be um, doing that because they, they potentially need to find another property? Correct. Okay. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, we've had instances where, they might be building or, you know, they would like to lease back the property for us. So we'll negotiate a rental rate for them to stay on a, on a lease or a periodic lease or whatnot. Um, and and that has saved us, you know, $10,000, $20,000 in terms of the purchase uh, because we've met those we've met those terms of the contract that, that they're really specifically after. So, so, so we touched on long settlement. Obviously, if someone is building another property, they might want to rent it back. Or even if they're looking to buy another property, they might want to rent it back. Yeah. In some instances, buyers might want a shorter settlement. Correct. So if, if buyers want a shorter settlement, it might be because they bought another property. Uh, yeah. If you're a cash buyer, you can do a shorter settlement, then, then it's a great opportunity to negotiate aggressively, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Another instance that we find terms make a really big difference is when a deal has already fallen through on finance or if a deal has already fallen through on something and you can show if the deal has already fallen through on finance if it's fallen through on building a pest that's generally a concern yes. we probably won't go ahead with yes, it so correct. We know why. Yep. but if a deal has fallen through on finance we want to know is it because the valuation came back shorter or is it because the buyer's finance fell through if it's because the finance buyer's <laughs> finance fell through then we generally know that this vendor is going to be a little bit more emotional, a little bit more picky. They might not go with their highest offer, but rather they'll go with the strongest offer in terms of the terms. Absolutely. And to elaborate on that, 
that's why it's so important to have have relationships with agents, right? Yes. Do you want to sort of touch on the conversations you're having with agents sometimes? And and you were just saying today that we did a deal that wasn't the highest deal, but the agent came back to us and gave us another chance because essentially they knew that we we're going to be the strongest. Uh, they, they've dealt with us before, right? Yeah. So I guess that's, you know, that's a benefit of using a buyer's agency because we very much, you know, make sure that our clients are pre-approved. We make sure that our clients' finances are quite strong. And so, you know, we very much... It's very rare that we pull out of a deal on finance on those clauses, especially because we also look at, you know, comparable sales, which so a lot of people don't look at comparable sales and potentially pay too much for a property and then the valuation will fall short. So by us doing our research, we ensure that the likelihood of us pulling out of a deal on finance is actually extremely low. Agents know that and so that's why they like to work with us. So when they work with us, they know that 99% of the time we're not going to be pulling out of this deal. We're not looking to pull out of the deal. Um, we do put those clauses in there just to be sure, but it's very rare that we do pull out of any any deals. 100%. And that's why, like, if you've got an emotional vendor who's bought another property and the offer on their property has just fallen through, when they have that conversation with a sales agent and the sales agent says, hey, I've got an offer here from a buyer's agent. I've bought 50 properties through this. We've sold 50 properties to this buyer's agent over the past year. Um, none of them have fallen through. Obviously, that emotional vendor is going to be accepting an offer that's lower if they've already had one fall through, uh, if it's a much higher probability of the deal actually going through. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So let's also touch on, uh, and I guess another thing I'll mention, and Daz, Daz, will be unim- Daz won't be happy that I'm mentioning this, um, <laughs> but it's in terms, of, in terms of the terms. So in a lot of the states, so Queensland, Adelaide and Perth, you can remove your clauses if you want to. Now, we never yes. recommend removing building and pest clause. Yep. Always keep that in there. 95% of the time, we also don't recommend removing the finance clause. Daz would Correct. say 100% of the time. <laughs> he definitely would. Um, <laughs> The risk with removing your finance clause is even if you've got a pre-approval and the valuation comes back, let's just say you signed a contract on a property at 500000 uh, you've got a pre-approval for 500000 the valuation comes back at $480,000. It means you're going to have to pay the difference between that $20,000 difference because the bank won't lend you up to whatever that shortfall is. Yes. So depending on how much savings you have, depending on your risk profile, depending on the circumstances, that is an option that people can do. You can remove your finance clause. If you don't need finance, then remove it completely. If you've got a 50% deposit in your account, but you just don't want to use it, then maybe it's worth removing the finance clause, but going in at a lower price. Yeah. We don't generally recommend it because we're sort of, you know, it's our, we, we are more risk averse as a company, as yes. a business. But I think as an individual, if you want to take that slightly higher risk yourself, but you do have that you do have those buffers and savings in your account, then that's something that you need to weigh up yourself. Yeah. And and look, we have done it. We don't do it often. <laughs> Every time we do do our watch Darren uh, sweat from the other <laughs> side of the room. But, you know, when we do, we just make sure that, you know, pre-approvals in place, you know, the, the client's finances are strong. You know, we've got our comparable sales so we can show that the valuation is not going to fall short. So we're very confident in that. And, and that's when sometimes we'll do it, depending on the client. But, yeah, just if you are going to do that, make sure that you, you do follow those steps just to reduce the risk. Yeah, 100%. So 
Last thing I want to touch on, well, unless you have anything else you want to touch on, but I, I did have one other question that I think would be valuable to, to the listeners. Let's explain a little bit about how different agents like to negotiate and how the benefit of working with them on a daily basis can really help you. Uh, even if you don't work with them on a daily basis, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to be involved with their campaigns for a few months to, to yes. get familiar with it. It's very, very hard to just try and negotiate a property with an agent that you've never dealt with before. They are extremely good at what they do. Their job is to sell the house at the highest price. Their job is to act on behalf of the vendor and they will do everything they legally can to sell that house at the highest price. So if you don't know the agent's tactics and the agent's sales campaign and how they like to do this, it's very, very hard for you to get the best deal. Let's touch a little bit about how sort of our experience has been with a few different agents and, and what yeah. their sort of campaigns are like, look like. Yeah, so I think first, like when you're thinking about if there's a property you are looking at and you you want to put in an offer. There's a few questions I definitely begin with. And the first one would just be to just touch base with the agent and be in constant communication and ask questions like, you know, how many offers do you have? Some agent ask potentially what the offers are. Some agents won't tell you. It depends on each state is different. So some states they're allowed to tell you, some states they are they are not allowed to tell you. Even if they're not allowed to tell you, sometimes they, they do. You can, it's amazing how, how much information you can sometimes get, right? Uh, absolutely. And w- when they say, oh, look, I can't tell you, then, you know, if the price is sitting at uh, offers over 499 uh, you know, you know, you could ask a question like, have you got any offers starting with a five? Have you got any offers over 520 So depending on where you're sitting with your offer, you know, you can generally get yes or no answers out of them. Yeah, and if you if you so like like Mike just said, if it's offers over four nine nine, and then you know the last three comparables have sold at five thirty, five forty, and five fifty, you could say, do you have an offer that that uh, do you have an offer that starts? Do you have an offer above five twenty? Yeah. See what they say. Yeah. Or do you have an whatever whatever it might be? And you'll be surprised at how often they'll give us an answer to that question, uh, and it very much helps us to know where we need to be at. Same with the how many offers you have because. If they've got one offer on the table as opposed to sometimes seven or eight, very much changes where our offer will be uh, because obviously we know we're not competing with as many people. So, yeah, that's quite important. And and just to touch on that, uh, you guys might be thinking, well, how do you know if the agent's telling you the truth or not? If you have never dealt with the agent before, then it is hard for you to know that. But if you are dealing with the agent every day or if you are dealing with the agent on a weekly basis, but also if you've done all that research that you should have done on the market, you're going to know whether if there's a listing, but depending on how much, how many listings there are, depending on how the agent likes to negotiate, you're going to know if there's a listing in this current market condition, there is probably going to be 15 people that's going to walk through the front door. And there's right. probably going to be five that are going to put in an offer. So you should know this already. But then if you're speaking with the agent all the time, you're going to know if they sometimes tell the truth, sometimes they don't. If the agent lies and says, I've got offers above 530, and then you know that property doesn't sell above 530, then you know straight away, okay, well, he's not telling the truth. Yeah, so, absolutely. So these are the sort of things you can you can sort of gauge the more you are um, the more you are on the ground. Yeah. Is there any other sort of questions that, that um, buyers can ask agents? Yeah. Again, just asking terms. So are there any terms that the sellers or vendors are looking for? What do you mean by that? So in terms of long settlement. So again, long settlement. settlement, short settlement. You know things like that. And then another little tactic is to some people just you know will throw in an offer. They'll they'll turn up on a Saturday. They'll go to the open home. They'll throw in an offer. Quite often we find that it is best to find out when the agent will be presenting offers to the vendor. Yeah, so the sort of question you can ask there, 
you guys can do this. It's a very, very simple question. Say, how do you, how does your, what does your campaign look like? That's right. Um, when is the vendor making a decision on this property? Yes. You can ask, are you going to be giving us another chance? Are you, are you going to touch on that? Did I just that's right. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, I got excited. Fine. I got excited. <laughs> that's, fine. that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So Bobby's absolutely right. So by just asking those types of questions, uh, finding out when the the agent is going to present offers to to the vendor, we typically try to put our offer in last because when we put our offer in last, I will touch base with that agent and say, you know, he'll say to me, uh, I'm putting offers need to be in by close of business today. So I'll call him about 4.30 in the afternoon and say, it's Mike from the investors agency. I'm looking to put in an offer. Where are you guys at at this stage? And I'm then getting the most up-to-date information on all the offers of this property. You know, he'll then tell me that how many offers he has. You know, I can then ask questions about where the offers are sitting. And it then puts us in the best possible situation to put in our best offer if we're willing to go to that price. And then also if we put in our offer, are you going to come back to us? In some states, if there are multiple offers, it can be best and final. So I think that's something we haven't touched on yet. So uh, there are some states around the country where very much different, say your New South Wales, Victoria, where when there are multiple offers, it's called a multiple offer uh, scenario, you can, you can only put in your best and final. You can't come back. Okay, so then by leaving it to the last minute to put your offer in, uh, it does put you in the best position. Um, but we do use that strategy quite often because, again, we just want to have the most up-to-date information on all the other offers that are on the table. Yeah, so if we know that it's going to be a best and best and final multiple offer, um, then we're going to be waiting to the very last minute to put in that offer and we're going to ask those questions such as how many offers do you have, what terms do they have on their offers, are there favourable terms to the vendor and, and, and so forth, all the stuff that we just sort of touched on before. Yeah. But then if we're having a chat with an agent and they just say our vendor wants 460, if he gets 460 he'll sell. Yeah, we're going to get in that same day. Like we will, we will do, we will drop everything and get one of our guys on the ground to literally go into that property on the same day. As long as the agent will give us access, we can't obviously break into properties. <laughs> but as long as we have access, we're going to try get in on the same day. And it is very common that we're doing deals within. We've done, I think, yeah. the fastest we've done is six business hours. Yeah, but twenty four hours is, is extremely common. So if an agent tells you hey, my vendor just needs this price because he's bought another property or my vendor just wants this price, he wants to get out or whatever yep. it might be, which is what a lot of off-market properties are. Absolutely. Um, that's why we love them. That's why, exactly. <laughs> we love off-market properties. About half the properties we're doing at the moment are off-market. The agent just says, hey, my vendor needs this amount. Can you yep. get it? If not, we're going to go to the market. Yep. Now, we just have to make sure the amount they're telling us stacks up in terms of comparable sales, in terms yes. of data, in terms of everything we're looking to. And if it does, it's a very simple and quick transaction. Yes. Uh, so it's super important to understand I guess the vendor's motivations and also how the agent likes to um likes to do that campaign. That is a great tip because quite often, you know, we'll look at properties. We'll we're looking every day. We'll see a properties come up two hours ago, one hour ago. It's it's fresh. The first open will be on a Saturday. One of the first questions I'll ask that agent when I speak to him is, "Are they willing to sell before Saturday?" So, if they are. And they give us a price. What's your, what's your sale price before Saturday? If we put in an offer, what's the price before Saturday to sell? You know, that can really also put you in a really good position. Yeah. 
Cool. So look, I think we've, uh, I think we've covered a ton of information today and I think it's going to be super helpful to our, to listeners. I know we've pretty much touched on all the tips and advice, but is there anything else that I haven't asked or anything else that you do want to share with the listeners who are looking to negotiate on a property in the current climate? I think I just want to reiterate the, um, the fact that, you know, if you do your own research and if you, you look into the things we've just spoken about, it can very much help you to put you in a much better situation when you're bidding on a property. So yeah, I hope it's been very informative. I hope it's helped you all. And yeah, hope you've enjoyed it. Mate, you've, uh, you've, you've, you've dropped a, a ton of, a few nuggets of gold. So appreciate you coming on, taking the time out of your day. I know you are super under the pump, uh, but hopefully the, uh, hopefully the listeners have, have gained a ton of value. Look, we'll, we'll look to get Mike on as long as we, as long as he wants to come back on. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how we go. <laughs> he's, uh, he's smashed it today. So we'll look to get Mike on if he wants to come back on, you know, every couple of months or whatever it might be. And he can give us an update as to what's happening around the grounds and, and any awesome. other words of wisdom that he has. Thanks awesome. for joining us, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast. The advice given on this podcast is of a general nature only, and you should make your own decisions before taking any financial risks. If you would like to stay in touch with the show, join the Lazy Equity Facebook group or find the Investors Agency on Instagram and Facebook.